Amen. You may be seated. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus under cover of darkness and talks to him about the miracles and the ministry that uh, Jesus has shown to the world up to that point. And Jesus says something about being born again. He's talking about being born again. And in verse 6 of John chapter 3, Jesus says this. And now, like I said, it's, uh, the context is he's talking about the new birth. But it's a principle that applies in everything. He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The principle behind that is very simply, those things that are begun or done with a spiritual motive, by the influence of the Holy Ghost, the prompting of the Holy Ghost, or according to the Word, will bring forth spiritual results. But things that are done just because you and I do it, whether we think it's a good idea or not, not inspired or led by God to do, will only produce fleshly results. In, uh, in August of 1985... I found myself in the uh, office of my former boss at Kenneth Hagin Ministries. And um, we had ministered in a church in this area one time before, about a year or so before then. And we were scheduled in five or six weeks to be back out here. And the church had undergone some tragedy and lost the pastor. And as a result, there were... Um, Several hundred people, I think the church was, uh, uh, well, it was told me that the church was 800 people at the time of the breakup, but there were still a couple of hundred people that were trying to keep things together, and it was, this was news to me, I didn't know anything about this going on, but as I said, my former boss mentioned it, said something about it, and then something he said as a joke, God used to change the direction of my life. I went home and told Beth what he said, recounted the joke that he made, and the same thing happened with her. The, the Lord dropped into both of our hearts. We didn't discuss it. We didn't know this until, I didn't know it until sometime later. But he changed the direction of my life and, and caused me to enter into what he really had for me to do. We came on out those five or six weeks later, at the request of the people that were trying to keep the church together, and basically I was trying out for the church. <clears throat> I've never been anywhere that was harder to preach than in that, uh, that church service. For me, it didn't matter. I, I have no doubt that's the worst sermon I ever have preached in that occasion. Man, I sure hope so. I hope I've never done worse than that. <clears throat> but anyway, from what the Lord had told me, I just assumed. I figured out, according to my thinking, that what God had planned for me to do was to take that church, gather the people back up together, and go forward. But after we were here and had such a difficult time in the, the service, I couldn't think of anything to say. Um, what I did say didn't make sense. And lo and behold, they called somebody else to pastor. <clears throat> the Lord had really kind of prepared me for that because uh, after we got back, we were living in Tulsa, Oklahoma at the time. After we got back home, there was something that was nagging at me. And I couldn't figure out what it was, and I knew the Holy Ghost was behind it. I knew it was God trying to get something across to me, but I couldn't. Couldn't identify what it was. I couldn't put my finger on it to get any clarity. And finally, after praying and several days meditating on it and stirring around, finally the Lord got through to me and asked me, what would I do if they called another pastor? Well, it was at that time I realized what God had really spoken in my heart. See, I thought... When the direction dropped down on the inside of me, in my spirit, to come here and pastor, I interpreted that to mean take over that other church that was in need of a pastor and looking for somebody. And that's not what it was at all. 
What the Lord told me to do was come here and pastor, not come here and take over a church. So I asked Beth about that. I had to make sure we were on the same page. And so I asked her, what would you do or what would you recommend that we do if they call another pastor? And her response was almost exactly as mine. Well, we still have to go. The Lord told us to do it. So if it's not there at that church, then it'll be some other way or some, some other thing that God has planned. So when we found out that the other church, the church had called another pastor, somebody else to do it, we started making plans. Or let me say, I started making plans <clears throat> to come to California to a place that we didn't know anybody except for one family. There was a witness in my heart that even though now we know what to do, it's not the time to do it. And so we and, um, well, again, this is me. Sometimes we means we and sometimes we just means me. <laughs> Depending on who we're trying to shift the blame to. <clears throat> but I had canceled all of our meetings. We were traveling around the country and doing some work overseas. And I canceled all the meetings when the Lord dropped in my heart that I was to come here. So we had nowhere to preach. We had no income. We had nothing coming in. And now that I've zeroed in on what the Lord wants me to do, and that is come here and pastor, we don't have any money coming in or any, any income to help us in any way whatsoever. So I just kind of talked to the Lord about it. I said, well, okay, you know what our situation is. You know we don't have any offerings coming in from meetings because we don't have any meetings scheduled. And God met our needs. Money came in to us from unexpected sources, just like if we'd kept the meetings that, we, that I had canceled. To the penny. Well, and uh, sometime later, probably mid-October, something like that, the Lord spoke to me just as I was sitting down to lunch in, uh, uh, in my, the living room of the little house we had there in Tulsa. And he said, now it's time. Well, okay. If now it's time, that means I'll pack up, take me about 30 minutes to pack, and we'll go. So I went to Beth and I said, I just heard from the Lord. He said, it's time to go. She says, okay, what does that mean? I said, I think it means we live by Monday. And she freaked out. <laughs> just absolutely freaked out. No, I can't be ready to go that soon. I, this is all so sudden. No, I can't, blah, blah, blah. So I gave her a month. I said, all right, then we'll leave the end of November, which was about four weeks from that point in time that we were talking. So when December the 1st of 1985 came around, we loaded up everything we had in the U-Haul, not their biggest truck. <laughs> and with our car in tow, we headed for California. We had to move ourselves because moving companies have to have a destination address to pick up your stuff and carry it across country. And we had no clue. We got to town about December the 3rd, 4th, whatever the dates were. I don't know how they fell. But after the first few days of December, we were pulling into a place that we didn't know anything about. We hadn't been able to sell our house in Tulsa, not that we'd really tried because things had moved so quickly. So we still had a house payment in Tulsa. And then we got out here and started looking for places to live and found out that they want a fortune for apartments. <laughs> we found a little two-bedroom condo in uh, Mission Viejo, unloaded our truck, unloaded everything that we had into the, that place, and turned the truck in. And then we were waiting for the first of the year to come around to start the church. So in the meantime, we had a lot of things to do to find out where we're going to have church, how we're going to make this work, how do things work out here, and so forth. Well, I started calling some of the school districts and uh, found out that 
I'm going about it in the wrong way, that the school districts don't control whose facilities are available to what churches and that kind of stuff. And uh, so the, the lady that I was talking to at the school district said that uh, I'd have to talk to the principals of the schools because they didn't keep records. They're not the ones that were handling it and so forth. They said once the school rents out some of their facilities to a church, then they let us know. But she said, of all the schools that we've got in the Saddleback Valley region, there's no openings. So I hung up the phone and said, okay, Lord, what am I supposed to do now? Looking back at it, I, I'm sure there were a lot of things I'd handled differently. Looking back at it, I probably would have tried to secure living arrangements and maybe facilities for the church to meet long before I even left Oklahoma to come here. But we're just following God. As much as we know how. Not sure that we really know how, but we were just doing what we could. So I, after I hung up the phone with uh, the school district, I said, well, all right, if I could pick anything, any school around me, where would I be? So I picked the one that was closest to where we were living in Mission Viejo. In Mission Viejo. And uh, called the, the principal, called the school, asked for the principal. principal came on the, the line, and I told him what I was looking for, and he said, are you associated with such and such a church? I said, no, never heard of them. He said, well, who are you with? I said, kind of me. <laughs> we haven't started yet, and I told him what the plans were and so forth. And he said, well, how did you know to call me? I said, well, the school district said thus and such. And you're the closest one to where we're living, so we thought we'd start with you. And he said, not 10 minutes ago, the church that has used our facility for the years told me that they were not going to be continuing to use it. He said the, the school districts wouldn't have known, would have no way to know this was what was going on. And he just knew for sure that I was hooked up with the church and found out from them that they're not going to use it, and so that's why I called. But I did my best to convince him I'm not with anybody. I'm just doing what I believe the Lord wants me to do. So we started using the school in um, Mission Viejo, elementary school. And we started in the first Sunday of January, 1986. I think that was January the 5th. Now, the school was an open plan, open area type thing. And so we had to cart in whatever we did have which was hardly anything, set up and tear down chairs and all that type stuff. And so we started on January the 5th of 1986. We had one piece of advertisement in the Penny Saver. We could afford the Penny Saver ad, but it cost $25 for them to set up the ad, do the artwork and set up the ad. We didn't have $25 to make one ad saying we're a new church. And then after the, the grand opening, spend another $25 to put the ad in like we were going all the time. So we just put an ad in the penny saver like we were a church that's been going forever. And we had one family join us that Sunday morning, probably having no clue of what they'd gotten themselves into. <laughs> so this one family... Joined with us for our first service, our opening service. We did what we felt like we were supposed to do. Dismissed the service. Went home. Didn't see that family again for a long, long time. <laughs> now, I mentioned that we had one family out here that we knew. They moved to Texas one week after we got here. <laughs> I still wonder if that was a sign. So, it was just us. We had that Sunday morning service. We went back to the condominium that we were living in. Beth walked into the, into the bedroom, shut the door, locked the door, <laughs> and cried all afternoon. 
she might still be crying <laughs> if she hadn't had to go back to church that Sunday night because we started like we were going forever. We had Sunday morning, Sunday night, and midweek service. I think we had to do it on Thursday because of the school schedule. So we went back that night, and the family that we'd seen that morning didn't return. So it was just us, her and me. She sang to me. I preached to her. No need to take an offering. I know she doesn't have anything. So that's how we started. And there were a lot of services, particularly the night services. There were a lot of services where it was just me and Beth. I learned during those services how not to make eye contact with people. (laughs) And she did the same thing. She looked at me while while she was singing, leading singing for me. We'd crack up. If I looked at her while I was preaching, then she'd crack up. But we just acted like we had the whole room full of people. There were a lot of things that happened in those most early days. One thing was that um, Ed Dufresne, who was a good friend of ours through Brother Hagen, meaning that's how we met him, how we became acquainted with him, uh, he gave us an old audio board. Now, I'm not one that knows a lot about electronics and, and that kind of stuff. But there was a, a reverberation option in this soundboard that basically was a wire that was called up inside the workings of this unit. And if you bumped it, it would make this spring sound, spring type thing. And that was the reverb. <laughs> Go figure. Well, we were having, we had been, uh, it was about to June, I guess, of 1986. We'd been going about six months. And uh, there was something, there was some kind of problem with the, uh, the soundboard. Now, the way we had it, there was a, uh, there was kind of like a little well in the, facility we were using and then there were steps up that were big enough to put chairs and so it kind of created a little mini amphitheater type thing and there was a a stage a big tall stage platform that um, they used for plays and productions or whatever they had and so we just set the soundboard on that behind where I would walk down on the floor to minister so whatever the problem was with the soundboard it was keeping me occupied and I had my back turned to the crowd well, it, was time, it came time to start the service, and I turned around, and there were like 50 people there. I almost fainted. <laughs> I didn't know where they came from. I didn't know how they all knew where to go. I didn't know what was going on. But apparently, it was a group of people that had merged their church with another one and had committed to give six months to it, to the merge, But then a lot of the people, or some of the people there, I guess, weren't satisfied with the way the church was going to go, and so they were all visiting the first Sunday with us. And that really began the thing that, uh, that really began where we started growing. Before then, we'd just have a a smattering of people, and nobody was committed to anything. Nobody indicated this was the kind of church they were looking for. And so it was really the first six months where it was just us. And God met our needs. We had little money coming in. I wasn't taking a salary because there wasn't any money to to pay. Beth was working in a department store. You remember Buffum's department store? Beth worked in Buffum's. She got into a good position where she could make some decent commissions. And God supplied us, supported us and the church for many months. I wanted to get a job, but the Lord had spoken in my heart saying the church would not get to where it needed to be if I did. Well, how do you argue with that? But finally, things got so difficult that I just said, Lord, it's just not right for me not to 
support or provide for my family, so I'm going to get a job. So I called um, one ads, responded to one ads, and to do anything. I couldn't even get a job throwing newspapers that have these ads, want ads, for people to, to carry newspaper routes. And nobody returned my call. I couldn't get a hold of anybody. Finally, I found one job, a delivery job. I found one job that they were interested in, in, in me that, that uh, you know, I could fulfill the position. And finally, at the last minute, when, uh, when we'd gotten everything else worked out, I said, by the way, what would I be delivering? And he said, beer and wine. <laughs> so I said, well, that may not work after all. I got off the phone and said, okay, Lord, I get the message. I get it. I'll leave it alone. So we just had to believe God. And as I said, for the most part, God provided for us through best job. In the early years of our church, we found out a lot of things. I found out a lot of things that I said I believed before. But you know that there's a difference in saying you believe something and living it. I wish Christians would get that. See, you only really believe what you live. Everything else is just talk. Now, talking can be important in the sense of confessing the truth of the word to put it into your heart. But I'm not sure that most people do that. I think most people just talk. We found out that God was with us and God would take care of us in a lot of ways. We had a situation in the very early days of our church where uh, a lady that, uh, well, she and her, and her family started coming to us pretty early on, within the first couple of months of our church starting. This lady lost her mind, literally lost her mind. And there was nothing that the family could do they were at the point of committing her, turning her over to the state because they couldn't afford to, uh, to provide her any treatment or anything like that. So this lady's life was about to be taken captive by the state government and nobody, who knows what would happen then. And somehow or another, I don't remember exactly the circumstances around it. It was probably Beth. But somehow or another, she came and lived with us for about a month. Now, to let you know how far gone she was, there was one occasion, and forgive me for being graphic about this, but she went into the bathroom and smeared feces all over the walls. When we asked, why did you do this? She said, because I can. That's how much the devil had a hold of her. But we prayed for her. We stood against the devil for us. There's no way for her to stand against the devil for herself. And today, she's just as solid as a rock. Amen. Just as solid as a rock. You would never guess that anything like that had been a part of her past history. We saw God do a lot of things to help, to deliver people, to heal them. But the healings that we have in our history, in our experience to give God glory for. Very few of them came as a result of me laying hands on somebody or some spectacular occurrence. Most of, and I mean by that 95 plus percent, of the healings that have taken place over the last 31 years have been people believing God, putting the word to work and seeing God honor his word. We met in the school building for about three and a half years, but we quickly saw that we needed a place where we didn't have to set up and tear down every time, and we could have the services according to the schedule that we wanted to rather than just what's available. 
So we started looking for an industrial building that we could renovate and use for church. And we found one. It was over behind the Irvine Auto Center off of Rockfield. We found a place that looked like it would work for us. So we signed the papers, entered into the lease. Again, if I was doing things today, I know more and I'd do it differently. But we signed the lease just assuming that now that we have taken possession of the building, or at the point we take possession of the building, we can just use it however we want to. But we found out that we had to get a conditional use permit from the city of Irvine. And unbeknownst to us, <clears throat> we signed a lease at the very time that a church two doors down the street had closed their doors. Now this church, we knew about the church, I just didn't know where they were meeting or anything like that. I really don't try to keep up with other people much. But apparently, well, not apparently, this much we knew. It was a, a church where the, the pastor and his wife were hosting almost full-time on TBN. And so they were advertising every time they were on camera for their church. They called themselves America's Church. That wasn't their name, but that was kind of their tagline. which I guess left the communists for us. <clears throat> it's always been Russia's fault, folks. You need to understand. It's always been Russia's fault. <clears throat> but apparently this church, which started off with a bang, lots of people, thousands of people, had entered into an agreement to use the building two doors down from us and had cut a lot of corners because of the influence of the people they had in their congregation. They had a lot of uh, people that were influential in different areas of business. They even had some of the city government officials that were a part of that church too. Well, long story short, they never did what they had to do to satisfy the fire safety requirements and uh, life safety issues and, and so forth. And so when they did not meet their deadlines, the city let them use the building before those conditions were met, before those alterations and renovations were made. So when things went sour, they went bad, bad big. There were people in the city government that lost their jobs over it, and it was just a mess. The church just exploded, tore up almost overnight. So now here we are after this previous weekend was the last Sunday that this church was in their building. They made their announcements about what they weren't going to be doing anymore and all that kind of stuff. Here we come into the city planner's office requesting a packet to get a conditional use permit to use a building two doors down from where they were. I knew something was up pretty quick because when I asked for the packet and showed the address and showed the preliminary information that I needed to give to the city, the person I was talking to at the counter started going from desk to desk and office to office. And I thought, this can't be the way this usually works. So eventually, I'm not sure if I've got his title right, but the city planner came out to the desk where I'm standing, and he told me some of the story of the other church. And as a result, he said, you will never get a conditional use permit for this property. It's just not going to happen. Well, that's encouraging. That's what you want to hear when you're trying to follow God, you know. But I asked him, I said, well, I assume I can still have the packet. I assume I can still apply for it. And he says, yeah, you can waste your time and your money if you want to. But you'll never get this permit. So I took the packet, said thank you, and went my way. And what is supposed to be a 90-day project to get a conditional use permit turned out to be a year-and-a-half fight for us. And everything that they told us we would not do, we did. Everything they said we could not get, we got. And I was standing at that same counter some 18 months later when the city planner signed the document he said that I'd never have. So we found out that God was bigger than government. 
We've already found out God's bigger than mental issues and the mentally ill. And I'll have to admit, there's something about crazy people that's always kind of weirded me out. <laughs> if you've got mental issues, I'll be glad to pray for you, but I would like to do it from the other side of the room. <laughs> you know? I don't understand mental illness. And so that was something that was big for me to realize that God's bigger than. It's almost like everything I've ever been afraid of, God puts me in the middle of it and says, now what are you going to do? And the answer is always believe God and he always comes through. Well, we stayed in that building for some period of time. And then I got a call from a guy that I had met through Brother Hagin. Uh, as a matter of fact, this guy was on Brother Hagin's ministry board, board of directors. Had known him <clears throat> for a long time, but he lives a little distance away from us, so it wasn't anything that he was ever going to come to our church or anything like that, but he knew we were here. <clears throat> and so this is about 1989, 88, 89, something like that. He gave me, a, gave me a call one day, and he said, I've got something I want to show you. It's a piece of property that's being zoned for church use, so I'd like to show it to you. <clears throat> I said, okay. So we made arrangements to go. I don't, Beth, you didn't go, did you? <clears throat> so it was just me and him. That's the way I remembered it anyway. He and I got into his four-wheel drive truck and started coming to, what this, to this property. <clears throat> but no development had been done. And you wouldn't know if you hadn't been here beforehand, but this property was 40 feet lower than it is now. It's about the, the level of the street behind us that they built up and kind of created a hillside opportunity. Well, when this guy came to get me, he jumped off the road somewhere. And started coming out here. We we're having to push down little trees with his truck and all this kind of stuff. He didn't bring any of the aerial maps with him. He didn't bring any of the information that he that had intended to do. And so we got out here. It took us 45 minutes to get to this piece of property. And he said he tried to tell me what he was going to do with it, the plans to build this up, and the view that we'd have, and all this kind of stuff, the park right next door, and, and so forth. But honest to goodness, I couldn't see it. I thought we were in Hemet. I really did. And so he asked me if I'd be interested in the property, and I said, well, I, I don't think so. I'd have to give away my church and start another one. I really thought we were out that far off the beaten track. Well, several years go by. We're still meeting in the industrial building on Rockfield. And uh, I get another call from him. And he says, I've got a piece of property I want to show you. Okay. I think this time Beth went with us. The roads were in. The utilities were sewer and all that kind of stuff was being put in at that point, I think. And he drove us out here. And something, I don't remember what it was, but something caused me to realize that this is the same piece of property he tried to show me before. Now it's just 10 minutes on the road. It wasn't then. So he asked if I'd be interested in it, and I said, well, yeah, maybe. It looks great. Looks like it would be something that might work for us. And then he told me the story on it. He said that he didn't remember that he brought me out here. And something caused me to realize or, or recognize something about the property and, and point it out to him. And he said, okay, yeah, now I remember. And so he told me what happened. He said after we declined on the property, they started development and doing all the things that they needed to do to get the utilities and the roads in. And apparently, that's the first thing you have to do as developers, create that. And then he said, uh, he said, well, the Methodist church was interested in it. And so they arranged to buy it. But he said, the way the Methodist church is set up, I guess, is that the committee, whoever's put in position for these things, the committee has to agree on it and it has to be a unanimous decision or some other thing like that. 
And he said two of the committee members got in a fight. They were having some kind of disagreement about something. And so one of the committee members that was involved in the dispute wanted it, and the other one didn't want it, meaning the property. And so the, the one that didn't want it or wanted to hurt the guy, the other guy bad enough, figured this was the way to do it, he broke the whole deal. So after the, the Methodist had it for three or four years after we first looked at it, then it came back around and we arranged to buy the property. We found out God's bigger than the Methodist church. God saved us this land. So we started making plans to build. I won't get into a lot of detail about the building situation. But for five years, we were in a, a place where it was literally living day to day. What had happened is that the contractor that we agreed upon had committed in the contract to provide certain payment and performance bonds that they couldn't provide. So when they started work, it left us open to a lot of liability that would have been unwise for us to carry rather than their insurance company that would be responsible for the liability. So we told them to stop. We told them to stop work. And that opened up the door to a whole lot of problems that plagued us regarding the building of this facility. There was at one time 13 different lawsuits filed against the church. During those five years, we lost 60% of the people that we had when we started, which pretty much means 60% of the income. It was like the devil realized that he couldn't stop us from having church, but he wasn't going to let us have our own property. There were issues with the county that because we had stopped work, the reason we set things up the way we did is we had a deadline. If we started construction by a certain date, then we would be eligible for the... Um, eligible not to pay property taxes on the property because it would be considered a religious exemption all during the construction period. But when the, we did start, we did make the deadline, but then we had to stop the contractor because he didn't have the bonds that the contract provided for. So the county came in and said, you owe property taxes for all these back years that you missed the deadline for. It's about a quarter of a million dollars. Not the amount of money we had just laying around. And then during the, the process with the lawsuits, well, I, I shouldn't call them lawsuits, the uh, most construction documents, contracts, call for dispute rev uh, the resolution of any disputes to be through arbitration and not to courts. Well, sure, that's okay with me. I'm not expecting to do anything other than what the contract calls for. I expect the other guys to be honest too. So, but found out in the process that the arbitration board that is set up to resolve these disputes and adjudicate these things is paid for by the building industry. And that's why it's built into the contracts. If we have a dispute, in other words, the judge that we pay the salary for will decide who's right and who's wrong. It was, it was unexpected. And during the process, we lost, through some of the disputes and legal fees, about a million and a half dollars. Part of the um, work that we did during the disputes and the lawsuits and all that kind of stuff, our attorney gathered together by phone 
conference call, about seven or eight different people that were all from different backgrounds. We had people from the building industry, people from the finance industry, people from the, the church growth companies and that kind of stuff. There were seven or eight different people. I don't even know who all was on the call. But I'm sitting there in my lawyer's conference room where the lawyer had briefed everybody, had sent them information about our situation, kind of brings everybody up to speed at the first part of the conference call. And then we started asking for the advice of these people. How should we proceed? Now, the only ones that I'm assuming didn't know for sure, but I assume the church growth expert is a Christian. Nobody else I have any indication. And when they started talking, one said, the first one said, well, before I get into whatever I, uh, advice I might have for you, I want to tell Pastor Webb that it's a miracle from what we see and experience. It's a miracle that your church still stands, that you're still even around to figure out what to do next. <clears throat> and when each one of these guys started telling us what they had for us or what they recommended for us, every one of them started the same way. I have to concur with so-and-so. <clears throat> I think it's a miracle that your church is still here. <clears throat> well, after the seven or eight guys finish, most of which I assume are not Christians, it starts dawning on me that maybe this is a miracle. Now, when you have to have unsaved people tell you that something's a miracle, <clears throat> that's not something that I readily admit to, but that's exactly what happened. And folks, I came to realize that whereas what I was believing for from the beginning of these disputes and the resolution and, and everything associated with it, what I started believing for was the walls of Jericho falling down and God showing that we're in the right and him standing on our side. And I failed to realize that, that manna was just as much a miracle as the walls fall I failed to realize, and it took all these guys telling me. <clears throat> I failed to realize that it was no less a miracle for God to have gotten us that far, just living day to day, than if the walls of Jericho had fallen down for us. We still had to deal with the county, and that one we won. That one, we took about 30 people that were in the church, <laughs> which represented a large percentage of the people we had left. And the judge ruled in our favor and against the county. We found out that God's bigger than contractors. He's bigger than financial disputes. And he's bigger than county government. <clears throat> That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. It was during that time, right about that time, <clears throat> that uh, I learned a lot personally. I finally came to the place where I just didn't care. You know where the Bible says, cast your cares over on the Lord? That's not just a place where you don't worry. That's a place where you don't care. We thought about making that the tagline for our church. <laughs> Foothill Family Church, we don't care. <laughs> but we decided against that. <laughs> Folks, we've come through a lot of things. And there's only one reason why we have. And that's it. That's very simply because God's word's true. Because God's word's true. We've been criticized for just about everything. 
That time we means me. But the thing that's most common, the criticism that is most common for us is that we're not the church at Corinth. Let me explain to you what I mean. The Bible talks about Paul's experiences with different churches. The church at Corinth had every spiritual gift in operation. Everything that the Holy Ghost can do, he did in their midst. Yet they were the most unstable church of all of them. They were the most resistant to Paul's teaching. Paul didn't put them down for their display of the Holy Ghost. He didn't discourage that in any way. But he told them that their focus and their desire was on the wrong thing. He taught them, or tried to tell them, that the important thing was the Word, so that then they'd have a foundation for the Holy Ghost to really make a difference in people's lives when he manifested. But as it was, they just had manifestations that produced nothing. In the same way, throughout the 31-year history of our church, almost 32, the most common criticism is that people don't think that we are what a spirit-filled church ought to be. Because we don't have that manifestation. We don't have that display of the Holy Ghost. We've got what Paul describes. We're closer to what Paul describes as far as reliance on and love for the Word of God. When I was, well, when the church was just a couple of years old, these condos that we were in had a community hot tub, spa, whatever you call them. And I would sometimes go there late at night after everybody was gone, didn't have to share the thing with anybody. And I was sitting in that hot tub complaining to the Lord. I was complaining to him about the fact that he sent us out here we didn't have any more people than we had. We weren't having any greater influence than we were having at the time. Just general complaining because it hadn't gone the way that I thought it should go or wanted it to go. And while I was sitting in the hot tub, I had a vision. There was a vision of a tree. And this tree played off in front of my eyes like a TV screen. And this tree started growing little by little, and then all of a sudden one branch of the tree, not the highest branch, but one of the lower branches of the tree, all the growth started taking place in that branch, that limb. So the tree was growing big and tall all over, and then all of a sudden the big and tall growing stopped, and the limb of the branch started growing on its own. It grew and it grew and it grew and it got bigger. It had full of fruit. But it got to the point where the, the weight of the limb was too great for the rest of the tree, and so the limb broke off, withered and died, and then shortly after, the tree died too. And the Lord spoke to my heart, and he said, you're asking for fruit like you just witnessed on the limb. He said, but I called you to produce fruit that remains. There's only one thing that can do that, folks, and that's the Word. Every other fruit, every other byproduct, every other thing that's produced will wither and dry up eventually. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. God's been good to us. And in a lot of ways, I feel like we're just getting started. I would like for us to be bigger. 
because that would mean we're reaching more people. I would like to instill in every person that comes in contact with us in our church a hunger for God's word because that's the most important thing you can have. Parents, that's the biggest thing you can aim at to put into your children. Now, don't get me wrong. Nobody can put a hunger in somebody else. But your hunger can at least be an example for somebody and create an incentive in our children to follow that example. If you don't read the Bible, your kids won't. If your kids don't see you pray, they won't pray. If they don't see you stand on the word when difficulties come, they won't think to do it either. So that's why we call ourselves a spirit-filled church. That's why our tagline, instead of we don't care, (laughs) is building strong spirit-filled lives. What is a strong spirit-filled life? Is it a life where the, the manifestation of the Holy Ghost is what we live on from day to day? Or is it a life where the Word of God becomes our guide? I believe it's the latter. I'm not sure why the Lord has me all nostalgic. That's pretty uncommon for me. But I think it's important. I know it's important for me. I think it's important for our church, and I, I believe it's important for all of us. To not forget the things that God's done. Things that look like for the church. Things that look like were the end of all things. Turned out to be nothing in comparison to God. I could take some time this morning, I won't, but I could take some time this morning and show you how every one of the individuals and the companies that tried to stop us are gone now. Because that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Some companies went out of business. The finance guy died of a brain tumor. The contractor lost his wife and his business and his kids in a very short period of time. Now, I'm not saying if you mess with us, you die. (laughs) That may or may not be true. But that's not what I'm trying to get to. You can't stop what God's behind. You just can't. One of the things that's always interested me is that part of the blessing of Abraham that was identified to Joshua and the children of Israel is that they would possess people that were greater than themselves. I interpret that to mean that God will cause us to win battles that looks like there's no way we could win. That has been the history of our church. That has been the history. Even the conditional use permit problems that we had opened the door for all kinds of other churches when the door was shut. It's just been part of what we do. And it's... I'll say it this way. It seems to me that God must have a warped sense of humor to put us in the place where there are America's churches all around us. We've hardly ever had a time since God put us here when we haven't been overshadowed by a church that everybody else wants to be like. Which leaves us with only the word. 
God's been good to us. He has been so faithful. And even in the things that turned out differently or went in a different direction than why I thought they would go. In some cases, it's different than even I was believing them to go. He's always shown the wisdom of God. He's always revealed his wisdom by producing greater results than would have been if it had gone my way. In a lot of ways, I feel like I'm just getting started. 60 is the new 30. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We magnify your name. We see the wisdom of your word when you said, despise not the day of small beginnings. We thank you, Father, that you're greater than sickness. You're greater than disease. You're greater than government. You're greater than everything. You are greater than all. Our God is greater than all. So, Father, we present ourselves ready and willing to go where you tell us to go, to do what you tell us to do. We commit ourselves to you, Lord, because you are faithful, because your word is powerful, because the name of Jesus is above all. It's a privilege to serve you, Father. It's a privilege to cooperate with the Holy Ghost. Words fail us, Lord. Our words cannot communicate and express our appreciation, our gratefulness, even our love for you. Lord, we've learned that even in impossible situations, you are faithful. So whatever situations lie ahead, whatever work the enemy brings against us, we know that your word will see us through just as it has to this point. We thank you, Father, for being good to us. We thank you for the privilege of living by your word, walking in faith, walking by faith. Knowing that you'll never let us down. Knowing that it's impossible for your word to fail. We bless your name, Lord. And we give you all the honor and the glory for all that has been done. The power is yours, not ours. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together.
We serve a great God. Whatever you're facing, God's greater than that is. Even if you don't see a way out or a way through, God's greater. Say it with me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being part of us. We appreciate you being part of our family. We love you. You're dismissed.